We're back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, Culture Editor here at The Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at thefederalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. As always, it's a little odd for me to do the intro uh, in front of Ben Dominich, the one and only publisher of The Federalist, also a contributor over at Fox News. Ben, uh, thanks for coming back. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm. I feel very gratified to be allowed to come on uh, to your show, Emily. So uh, it was a it's, close it's always call. a pleasure. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I know that it is a uh, an overdue thing. People like to do these things at the end of December, um, where they run through all of the different cultural things they consume and uh and rank them and, and and you know things say the things they like say the things they don't like uh, but i have to say i don't feel bad about doing it right now because just the other day uh the people who i worship as analysts of this red letter media uh dropped their two-part uh 2021 in review uh episode uh, in which one of the members is in a Green Bay Packers fleece, and and clearly is intoxicated for at least half of the of the conversation. So basically, I feel really good about this. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I'm not wearing any kind of Green Pack Green Bay Packers fleece. Though I do hope that they win. Uh, uh, by the time this this episode is released, you will know whether I have won uh, about uh, two hundred and fifty dollars or not because the because the Packers will have won or lost. Uh, but uh, but really, I uh, I have to say I I feel I feel pretty good about uh, my takes on uh, on twenty twenty one and and the things that uh, came out during that period. How do you feel about it? Do you feel like it was a good year or not? Well, first of all, I want to say I feel vindicated um, that Red Letter just released their 2021 uh, recap because that, that makes me feel much better about recording this on, on January 22nd. Um, exactly. And, <laughs> I, and I am going to I'm going to say I, I have to tell this story because I, I started thinking about it um, as you were you were mentioning the Red Letter sort of Packer fleece, uh, probably Miller High Life uh, situation. Mm -hmm. And I, I remembered that when I was a senior in high school. Um, this was the year the Packers had their remarkable run that ended in the Super Bowl win. Um, I went to a Grace Potter concert during a playoff game, much to my parents' uh, sort of frustration and uh, irritation, probably. But uh, Grace was, and by the way, the, the reason I thought about this is because our opening music uh, that Ben chose years ago is Grace Potter and the Nocturnals. Um, so I went and saw Grace Potter and the Nocturnals and a just a guy who was drunk off his ass ran on stage at the end of the concert in a Clay Matthews jersey, ripped it off, and Grace Potter was like hugging him and let him stay on stage and like play, like, you know, be up there with the band while they were oh singing. And she announced the Packer, Packers victory to the crowd. Uh, it was an incredible, incredible Milwaukee moment. <laughs> that, okay, so that's one, that's an incredible moment, period. Uh, two, that's probably like a peak Grace, Grace Potter era moment because she she had an era that lasted about like five or six years of just being amazing uh, before like her life fell apart and like a bunch of things happened with the band and there were all sorts of things that like 
were major setbacks. But I feel like I was at the inception of that, which was the the Austin City Limits mm-hmm. performance that sort of went viral on YouTube. She was wearing this gold dress oh, yeah. that like made every single heterosexual man in the audience fall in love with her. <laughs> and and it was just it was a phenomenal set. Like it was it was just you can still look it up uh, and it was it was sort of announced them as being like this is like a, a b or c stage act that has taken its this sort of next leap it is amazing though that you would skip a packers <laughs> playoff game for that that's a, i mean come on you know that's that's really a betrayal emily i mean i can't believe that your family didn't disown you uh, same, but a lot people don't remember this. Is the, the only time Aaron Rodgers has won a Super Bowl was in the unlikeliest of years, um, mm-hmm. and maybe that'll change. But this had just nobody expected them to make a run that year, um, and indeed they did. And uh, so I had tickets, and I really wanted to see Grace Potter because I, I, I correspond, <laughs> as as you know, I correspond regularly with many uh, former and current members of. Uh, Congress and the Senate from Wisconsin, uh, which is a wonderful state. Um, and uh, and I talk to them most regularly about the Packers and everything associated with the Packers. And so I've been telling them for the last two weeks, I need Aaron Rodgers to stay angry. I mean, <laughs> I made a big futures bet on the Packers to win the Super Bowl. I need him to stay angry. <laughs> you know? I think and, you just cracked the Rodgers code because whenever he's happy, he plays mediocre, and when he's angry, he, he, play, he plays great. When he plays, when he when he's happy, he um he plays like. A Californian, yeah. and when he's angry, he plays like a Wisconsin guy, and and that's that's what you need. That's what you need in order to win. We've spent the first uh, five minutes of this conversation that was supposed to be about movies from 2021 about the Packers. Um, so that definitely is uh, is in keeping with our normal approach to conversation. I'm so um, sorry, but I think you were right. I, I will say I think you're right about 2021 actually being the year where. Um, there there were some and i'm trying to think of how this relates to the pandemic because a lot of stuff was sort of shelved during the pandemic because they weren't sure whether to release things theatrically or to release things on demand or to do a combination of both and i do think this last year um some of those movies just turned out to be really interesting and some of the mid-budget movies also turned out to be really interesting definitely i mean i think that there was Look, we, we all understand that the business of this uh, got completely fractured uh, by the pandemic. And obviously it took all the way until really until this Spider-Man movie to, you know, everybody was saying, oh, is this the movie that brings people back into theaters? Um, and it really took until Spider-Man for that to happen. But I, I do think that along the way, you know, there, there was just there was a lot of really interesting stuff that came out mm-hmm. and stuff that was sort of surprising and weird in some ways, um, flawed in some ways because of like the, the choices that were made uh, about uh, the way that they had to depict certain things, uh, you know, either, either because of the pandemic or because of, um, you know, like a particular star, you know, basically, you know, uh, being absent, uh, which, is pandemic related, but was not, you know, it didn't affect necessarily the entire movie. It, there were all sorts of different things going on there. I mean, you had, you were supposed to have, there's a Batman movie coming out in March. Mm-hmm. That is um, th- that I, I mean, 
the trailers for it look great, but it's one of these things where like the movie is almost three hours long. I'm not kidding. It's I'm almost three hours long. So sick of that. I'm so that sick makes of that. me that makes me very nervous because it's like, okay, why is it three hours long? Is it three hours long because it deserves to be three hours long, or because your sort of pandemic screwed up production schedule meant that you needed to make it three hours long in order to tell the story that you were trying to tell? And if so, why didn't you just turn it into a streaming series, you know, on all these <laughs> yes. other different, you know, places where where something like that could work as a as a four part miniseries or something like that? I mean, it, there's there were all these different decisions being made um, that were affected by the pandemic, and some of them turned out okay, and some of them turned out bad. And so I'm I'm curious as to your own uh, takes on a lot of these things. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's what you're saying and, and what you're getting at here is how Hollywood is adjusting to, I think the financial situation induced by the pandemic, but also by the streaming revolution, which remember not so long ago, they were saying there's no way a Netflix movie is, it shouldn't be allowed into the Oscars. It's not a studio. Mm -hmm. Um, and here we are, I think, you know, the majority of the movies that came out that, uh, were sort of partnered at least, or even released by a streaming network. I mean, HBO Max had quite a year. Um, and mm -hmm. so I think what's happening is you're getting some of these mid-budget movies that are just starting to come into their own because they're starting to respond more to the market. They're starting to say, listen, we need romantic comedies that are actually good, that aren't Britney runs a marathon. Um, we need mm -hmm. comedies that are actually funny. Um, and I think a lot of those sort of middle films were, were great this year. Um, and there were actually some, I mean, Licorice Pizza was, I, I really liked Licorice Pizza. I don't know if, if you've seen it yet, Ben. Um, probably so, too. So let's, no, I, I think a good way to do this is to maybe go back and forth and talk, and talk about the different things that we've seen. Because I think you actually have hit a number of different things that I didn't and vice versa. Um, right. So talk to me about Licorice Pizza because I have not seen it. Um, yeah. So, and this is like when we were going to do this podcast, we realized this is a good, we're, our viewing habits are good compliments because <laughs> Ben has <laughs> sort of seen all the movies that, that I haven't. Um, and I've seen some of those that he hasn't, but Licorice Pizza is, I think I would describe it as, it's, it's a little indulgent. It's, it's a little too long. Um, but it's a very sort of Paul Thomas Anderson, um, doing the, the valley in the seventies. Bradley Cooper is spectacular in it. Um, Alana Haim is amazing. Obviously, I'm completely biased when it comes to the Haims. The, all the, the whole Haim family is in the movie playing a family. Um, and that's sort of fun to watch. But also, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son makes his acting debut in the movie. Uh, and he's spectacular. His name is, is Cooper Hoffman. So it's one of those movies it reminded me of phantom thread a lot in that these are totally different subject matters but what you have is just a beautiful film that is enjoyable to watch because it's it's enjoyable to watch the acting it's enjoyable to watch the cinematography um it's sort of a, a movie for people who like movies but if you're not sort of a movie buff you might be really bored by it but it's it's mm. one of those like refreshing films that we just don't get a lot of anymore um and that i appreciated so I know that you, I, I watched, I watched three different movies, or I guess I should say, uh, uh, I watched three and a third movies about chefs this yeah. year. Um, 
And uh, well, one of those would be Roadrunner, which is the uh, which is a documentary, which is about yes. Anthony Bourdain. Um, and that's the one that I think everyone should watch, even though it's not it's it has some flaws to it, but it's very interesting. And it does, I think, give a really enlightened perspective on, you know, a major media figure who committed suicide mm. and it helps you understand him. Uh, more and it has an enormous amount of behind the scenes footage so it's basically to, i mean it's just anthony bourdain behind the scenes it's like i mean that's you know in, in the to the same degree that like get back um which obviously got so much attention this year for um uh the you know the whole approach of kind of showing the beatles behind the scenes this was this is very similarly like an entirely behind the scenes look at anthony bourdain um, and you get a lot out of it, though. I would definitely say that you're not going to come away with, you know, from it, you know, feeling any better about the way that, you know, his final spiral uh, worked. And uh, and you're just going to feel depressed. So, like, just you know, know that going into it. Um, but the other the other ones that I watched were uh, Boiling Point which uh, is based on a, a short film. It's uh, It's got Stephen Graham, um, who will be recognizable to everybody from, you know, Snatch and from, uh, you know, uh, Boardwalk Empire and all of those other things that he's been in. It's got Jason Fleming in it. It's got a couple of recognizable kind of that uh, guy or that girl, uh, right. uh, British types. And it's, it, but the the bias of it is that it was shot in one take. <laughs> um, it's 90 minutes and it's, it is one take and they don't do the tricks that they do in it are not, um, are not CGI. They're not like the kind of thing where, you know, you feel like, okay, they just, they just cut there. No, it's actually more like they will go to a different character. And so they'll come back, you know, to the, to the main. So they'll give them a break. Um, and I found it to be interesting, but a little predictable. Hmm. Um, the half uh, or the third of a movie about a chef that I saw was uh, part of the French Dispatch. Um, I was so surprised by your reaction to French Dispatch. I, I got to be honest. Uh, so, look, I, I love Wes Anderson. You know, I've, I've seen all of his movies. I think he's great. Um, the... Uh, the movies that I show my daughter that are not, you know, uh, uh, children's movies are entirely Wes Anderson movies. Her favorite movie is Isle of Dogs. Uh, if you turn it on, she'll just go completely quiet and watch the entire thing. Um, uh, and I, I think that he's made some of the most lovely and uh, emotionally moving uh, pieces that I've ever seen. And I absolutely hated French Dispatch. I, I wanted like as soon as here's the thing when I watch a good movie or a movie that I really like as soon as I'm done with it I want to start it again yes. because I want to see like the things that I missed mm. or like I just have this natural impulse and as soon as I got done with French Dispatch I was like I never want to see this again in my entire life <laughs> I hated it I hated it like there were you know little moments in it where I didn't hate it, but that's the exception. Um, and I felt like it was almost like Wes Anderson making fun of himself, like a parody of his own style. And, um, and I, 
none of none of the characters felt like real characters um none of the i mean there's this there's a moment in in uh grand budapest where where you have the ray fines character basically unintentionally insult um the you know the immigrant character zero without realizing that he's done so and then realize that he's done so and be incredibly embarrassed Mm -hmm. and it's it's an incredibly humanizing moment it takes this person and just sort of demolishes him and and when he says when he says to him i apologize on behalf of the hotel (laughs) it's just like it's just like this demolishing moment there's nothing like that in French Dispatch. It, it's just an, entirely a pastiche. And I just felt like it was someone, it, it's like the kind of movie someone would make if they were making fun of Wes Anderson, which, by the way, there are many, many things making fun of Wes Anderson on YouTube. But the best, by far, is from uh, great movie critic Patrick H. Willems, uh, who did uh, Wes Anderson's approach to the X-Men uh, which is about uh, you know six minutes, eight minutes long, something like that. You'll find it, and it is both hilarious and amazing. And you will want to have like an entire movie <laughs> made about the X Men <laughs> at the end of it. Uh, they even like go and film on location at some of the Royal Tenenbaums places in New York. Um, uh, but anyway, there's a segment about a chef in it. I hated it. I hated it just like I hated the rest <laughs> of the movie. There's nothing like it. Just it. it it was bad. I, I don't less about it. Less about it that I can say the better. I like that you were offended by Wes Anderson on behalf of Wes Anderson. Yes, yes, <laughs> I felt insulted on his behalf. Like you're, you're. It's the same way that I felt about like um, the only thing I can compare it to is Attack of the Clones. It's like <laughs> I'm offended on George George Lucas's behalf. You're better than this, George. Why did you let this happen? <laughs> anyway. It's time to send a very strongly worded letter. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the best movie about a chef that I saw, or the best thing about a oh, chef I that I saw, Oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> is Pig. Yes. Pig is excellent. It's, it is not the best movie of the year, but it's one of the best movies of the year. I have probably recommended it to a dozen people. Um, it proves to you once again that uh, that Nick Cage can act and know that was not uh, Five Nights at Freddy's um, <laughs> or whatever it was that, that they made. It uh, Willy's Wonderland. Yes, Willy's Wonderland. What would that is that is that the name of it? Willy's Wonderland. The yes. one from last uh, year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pig. Um, is a movie that I have I have recommended to, like I said, a dozen people, and not a single person has come back to me and said anything other than that was a great movie, <laughs> and that it it shocked them in terms of his performance. It's a very small movie. It feels uh, very intimate. It is about, uh, and it was it was branded very wrongly when it was released as being, oh, this is John Wick with a pig. Mm-hmm. Um, and because people are used to Nick Cage going all you know uh, crazy and shooting a bunch of people, when in reality it is just this uh, small, very actors-focused thing um, about a chef who has basically retired from the business and you know makes his money by having um, a truffle pig, which is obviously a real thing. Um, they find truffles in the in the woods, um, and then he turns around and sells them to the uh, the northwestern um, uh, the uh, sort of chef scene uh, in Oregon and in Washington State, uh, and 
his pig is taken from him and he goes on basically an adventure an expedition to try to get it back and it it feels it's incredibly sad it's a very sad movie it's about both uh like failure um and uh, an inability to deal with loss which i think is um it, i mean it's just interesting in all these different ways and to the opposite of the french dispatch as soon as i got done with it i wanted to watch it again <laughs> <laughs> so like it, to me that's just the mark of this was an interesting story about an interesting character Nicolas Cage proved once again that when he wants to act, he actually can. Um, he's in, look, he is in the same category as Bruce Willis. Now he makes all these crappy movies um, to pay his debts or to pay, you know, whoever he owes. Um, but when, when you actually put him in something that's interesting, he reminds you, Oh, this guy is actually, he's a professional and is actually good at his job when he wants to be. Um, and so if I can encourage anybody to watch any movie on this entire conversation, it would be watch Pig. It will not disappoint you. It's a very interesting film. This is an ad I'm really excited to bring to you because it addresses a problem we talk about all of the time on this program. Blinkist has the perfect content to help you be a better, smarter, and more knowledgeable version of yourself in 2022. Their goal is to empower people to grow personally and professionally by discovering content that inspires, motivates, and gives you new perspective on your lives and in the world in 2022. So how do they do that? Well, with 22 Ideas for 2022, Blinkist's content can incredibly impact your lives. So there are titles of books on Blinkist and they advertise themselves on their website as big ideas in small packages. So you can read major books by people like Scott Gottlieb, who has uncontrolled spread on Blinkist. Even Roger Scruton, How to Be a Conservative, that's on Blinkist. You can read books from prominent author authors, books that are making a huge impact on our politics and on our culture. Ryan Holiday, who's been on this podcast, you can listen to Lives of the Stoics. You can read Lives of the Stoics, and it says right here on Blinkist's website with a subscription that book becomes a 13-minute read. Trey Gowdy, Doesn't Hurt to Ask, that book becomes a 15-minute read on Blinkist. They have such a huge library of really important and impactful titles. If you want to read Ilhan Omar's book, you can do that in a truncated time period and it becomes digestible. We are drowning in content right now in our world. And to be able to, to, to condense important ideas from major books that are so impactful is an invaluable contribution. It's exactly the kind of innovation that we need in this high-tech world where, again, we are drowning in content. And to be able to consume it responsibly does require some work. And this condenses the important information from those books without losing anything. That is an aha moment, right? This is an innovation that is bringing us something important that works with the way we live our lives now. And too many people, because of the way we live our lives now, just don't have enough time to get to books, period. This makes books accessible. So right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Federalist to start your seven-day free trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. 
That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash Federalist to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash Federalist. It is, and that's sort of what I'm talking about in the mid-budget um, point in that, like, this is not a, a Nicolas Cage action blockbuster. Um, it's actually an interesting story about an interesting character, as you say, and it really delivers because it's original, and it's smart, and the acting's good, and it just sort of checks all the boxes. Now, I'm convinced men like this movie much more than women. <laughs> I thought Nicolas Cage was fabulous. I thought his performance was... was oh, it's a it's a dude movie. It's, yeah. but But I would also, also say... Most chef movies are dude movies. They are they they are these kind of alpha bro, you know, tattooed, mm. drug addicted, Bourdains. you know, inventive, creative assholes, you know, who who boss everyone around. Come on, that's why guys like it, you know. Right, <laughs> and, right. And if you if you like it as a woman, then then that says something about you. I'm not going to say whether that's good or bad, but it does say something about you. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, no, I mean and and Pig is a it is a good movie. It's really solid and it's the type of movie that people actually are going to want more of um and that people in Hollywood should take note of. So what's something that you saw that I'm almost certain not to have seen? Ooh, that's a good question. Did you see Spencer? The Princess Diana? This is the, this is the, uh, yeah, this is, I know exactly what movie this is. No, I did not see it. All I know is that um, my wife hated it. Yeah. So, Similar. I thought it was bad. Um, and just. She told me about the scene with the like pearls or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and she was just like, I like, she was like, I almost stopped it. She did finish it, I think, but, but she was like, this is bad. It was completely overwrought. It was uh, not interesting, way, way too slow. Um, the acting was just sort of okay, but like Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana is just not good casting to begin with. It, like just because you can make someone with tech makeup technology and, and all of that look like somebody now does not mean that they should play that person. <laughs> like that's <laughs> this is getting completely out of hand. Can I do? Can I ask you? Does she do that thing where she? She looks down and she bites her lip and then she looks up. I don't know if she specifically does that, but she's because that's, very. I believe that's her only way of acting. Like, yes. is is she looks down, she bites her lip, and then she looks up. It's sort of um, she's doing the look up in the poster for the movie itself. She's doing the Kristen Stewart sort of look up. Um, <laughs> it's just contemplatively. It's it, so yeah. It, it's like Kristen Stewart does have that sort of quiet rage about her, and she's like a skinny uh woman in her 30s so they're just like yeah we can slap a blonde wig on her <laughs> and make her play princess diana so that was bad did you see um king richard i did not see king richard though several people recommended it to me and it's on that kind of list of things that i will eventually definitely watch when it's on streaming because i'm still a sucker for will smith mm -hmm. um and uh, and I get around to watching everything that he makes, even though even if it's crappy. Um, but I also just like I looked at it and I was like, this isn't for me, even though I'm a girl dad. But I don't <laughs> I just I don't feel the the pull to it. Uh, do you think uh, do you think that it you know lived up to what it was sold at, which which was frankly like a uh, like this is actually one of the best things he's done. 
yeah, I think it was, and I expected not to like it at all. I wasn't particularly excited to watch it, and I thought it was absolutely fabulous. He is excellent in the film. The acting in the film is excellent. It's really compelling. Um, the way it's paced is like kind of page turning, um, the equivalent of a book for a movie, like page turning. It's it's really interesting. Acting is great, and you know what? It, this sounds like sappy, but it has a really sweet message. It tells a really sweet story, and it is so freaking American. Um, it mm. just it's an American story to its absolute core and they did it justice um and i know a lot of people have a problem with uh, richard williams and there are all kinds of sort of uh, questions you can ask about him um but the movie titles a very very american sort of american dream story about people who are currently sort of sitting atop uh our our culture and our country um and really came from from nothing and it's mm. I, I thought the movie was really really well done and that's one i think everybody should see my only criticism would be it's a little bit too long the uh uh the whole strain of uh violent video game influenced movies mm. uh seemed to really take it up a notch this past year um there were two that were explicitly that way and then i would argue another that is implicitly that way uh, and that was uh free guy mm -hmm. uh, boss level uh and nobody um free guy obviously with ryan reynolds was kind of a surprise hit uh and um, you know is obviously you know just based on kind of a sprite coming alive it's like what if we made westworld as like a uh, as a comedy, which is what you should do with something like Westworld, because sprites aren't people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and when you kill them, uh, it is not a soul dying. Uh, but anyway, uh, the boss level one, which uh, starred uh, Frank Grillo, um, Frank Grillo, was that right? Yeah. Um, and uh, was uh was actually surprisingly enjoyable and had um some great little cameo moments including a mel gibson sequence that i thought was kind of out of nowhere and funny um nobody is not a, explicitly a video game movie but it is kind of a video game fantasy um, because you have to involve a fantasy if you're going to say that bob odenkirk is this tough you know badass who can just beat the crap out of a bunch of people um, but it was it, it was maybe the most satisfying movie watching experience uh that i had uh in uh 2021 uh it is a great movie. I recommend it unreservedly to anybody. It is, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of takes the, the Liam Neeson-ness of take of taken, uh, and turns it on its head. Cause it's like, this is, this is the actual kind of like, this is what a, you know, a, a CIA analyst would actually look like, you know, he is not some, <laughs> some six, three, you know, incredible badass. He's, he's just this dude. And, and, um, it, it was, it was fun, but it was also, uh, just like, I mean, it, it was more of a dark comedy in certain respects, um, than it was, uh, you know, an action movie and all, I don't know, all three of them kind of had their virtues, uh, but it was just interesting to me that like people people have figured out a way to make movies about video games that aren't explicitly based on specific video games, which I actually think has always been like the underlying the best way to approach it, like to take, you know, we want to make a movie that's about this incredible phenomenon, 
but to base it on that phenomenon would require us to accept certain you know cheesiness about the setups uh or characters that are extremely two-dimensional um and you know it, it makes me I'll be interested to see what happens with the next big bet on a video game movie, which is the Uncharted series, uh, which they're doing with Tom Holland. Um, and, you know, uh, Uncharted is an incredible series. It's basically like an updated modern Indiana Jones um, in, in a lot of different ways. It's, uh, it, it you know, it's better than kind of the, the old throwback stuff. It has interesting, some interesting tweaks to it. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't know what they're going to actually do with the movie, but they made the choice to like go younger with the star. And I'm not sure that that's going to work. So, so we'll have to see. Um, but, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these games, you know, they've tried to make into movies, even though the games are phenomenally popular, they've been failures. I think it's interesting that they've started to make these movies that have certain tropes from video games, like, you know, uh, uh, restart levels or Groundhog Day type experiences, you know, trying to beat a certain thing over and over again, uh, or even having these kind of, you know, normal guy action tropes, um, which, you know, are not exclusively from video games, but evoke a lot of it. Uh, it's interesting to me that that's the approach that they're taking now, where it's like we're going to bring in the video game participant, uh, but not via a property or a franchise uh, that require requires us to inherit uh, everything that that tentpole require you know would uh, participate in. Yeah, and I'm, I wonder if part of the problem there is because when you borrow the IP um, so directly, you end up with something that's kind of soulless and uninteresting mm -hmm. and, and lazy. And if people are going to see a movie based on a video game that they spend hours and hours of time in, they're very familiar with it. They know it very well. And so your, your adaptation is, I mean, to be able to do it justice, it seems almost impossible. Yeah, I think that that's a big part of it. I mean, a good example of this, and, you know, I have this sort of running, long running dispute. It's not even a dispute. It's just a, a, a slight disagreement with Ross Douthat, where, you know, <laughs> I've talked about it on this on this podcast before with him, where because he doesn't play video games, I think he's missing out on a really interesting and creative aspect of American culture. Mm. Um, and a perfect example of that would be the success of of games like Last of Us and the success of, of games like Red Dead Redemption, which are based on, on worlds and tropes and rules that have been set by other aspects of media, whether it's like a zombie apocalypse show or, you know, like The Walking Dead, um, or whether it's, you know, a Western uh, show, whether it be uh, Yellowstone or kind of the classic, you know, uh, evocations of the Western genre and they take it and they adapt it and they build on it in interesting ways. I think that that's a, you know, a great development and is in a, a sign of creativity, um, not decadence. And, and I think that there's, it's interesting to me the way that, that Hollywood is kind of learning now from those tropes, as opposed to just saying, oh, well, these things are really popular. Let's just make a movie that's directly based on this toy 
or this, you know, board game. Let's make Battleship. You know, let's make Transformers. <laughs> let's make the Gnome movie. Um, you know, and, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just stupid and ridiculous. And it's like, no, that's that's not what people want. You know, it's it's not like that IP is going to get you anything. But um, but that's been the way that Hollywood has approached it. And I think this year was a sign that they might be moving away from it, which is very good. Well, and speaking of that sort of original, because I think Pig is a really good example of that, as, as we talked about earlier, that like there is the it's there's a demand for fresh movies um, like Eternals. Hello. that How much money did they spend on that thing? And they keep doing this. Oh, Lord. Right. They keep doing this. And it's not because they think that taking Battleship and making a movie out of it is going to be good. I, I'm firmly convinced that they're not sitting around the boardroom like we're going to make a very good movie about the board game Battleship. <laughs> it's just like we're going to get people into the theater or we're going to get people to rent it or whatever. And they can sort of check all their boxes, make it palatable uh, to different cultural audiences and, you know, do their thing. Um, but a, an example of another mid-budget movie that I thought was really good this year was Last Night in Soho. I thought it was just a fantastic, original, fresh, very um, kind of vivacious movie. Okay. So tell me about this movie, because it's it's one of the ones that I wanted to see, but haven't gotten around to. It stars uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and um, uh, that that chick who's also an old, um, uh, the younger one. And it also, you know, was directed, obviously, by the same uh, uh, director who did uh, Baby, Baby Driver. Um, mm -hmm. And so all of those things would make me want to watch this movie. I just haven't gotten to it because uh, I haven't had time yet. Um, what, what was your reaction to it and convinced me I should see it? Yeah. So it has a very, if you like baby driver, I think it does have a really similar kind of uh, feel to it. Very similar pace, very similar, um, sort of tone. And again, it's about something, you know, pretty much completely different, but it's really smart. Um, and it's a really smart, I think also meditation on the dynamic between men and women, because it's going back and forth from the present, um, to the past. And there are all kinds of different things happening, um, in terms of the, the sexual dynamics, in terms of the friendship dynamics um, between a man and a woman or men and women and you don't even, you're not even thinking about that really as you're watching the movie but it's kind of like a better version of um, what was that movie that Bo Burnham was in Promising Young Woman um, yes. and it's a very different sort of part of that uh, but I think it, it I think last night in Soho comes down um, to a comes down to a better sort of conclusion um, and it's mm. just more interesting to watch I liked Promising Young Woman but I think last night in Soho is way more compelling it's way more watchable um and it's beautifully shot too so there's yeah. a lot of reasons to see it let's uh run through real quickly uh the superhero movies this year uh shang chi uh was released um which was a thoroughly decent and a totally forgettable movie um <laughs> Uh, which is, I think, you know, kind of the the knock on on the Marvel MCU approach uh, of late is that they it's like they do exactly what they're supposed to do, and then you forget about them the instant that you're done watching them. Yeah. Um, uh, same with uh, the Venom sequel, which was a little bit better, I would say, than than Shang Chi. It's a little bit uh, just because Tom Hardy's very funny. He has like this dark humor aspect to him uh, that I really appreciate um 
And then, of course, uh, the the uh, the big uh, dog in the room, which was the Spider-Man film, <laughs> which everyone was waiting for, at, you know, delivered on its promise and left a lot of people saying, you know, that's the best experience I've had in movies and, you know, in a, in a movie theater in years, um, which I think is is totally justified um, and is a sign again, by the way, just keep in mind, you know, Two of those movies I just mentioned, you know, had Sony parts within them. I mean, uh, basically, Spider-Man is a Sony movie. It's not, you know, a classic kind of MCU uh, movie in terms of the way that it was made. And I think that the MCU is running into a real problem right now where the wokeness at Disney has infected it to the point where um, it's just going to have some challenges in its next iteration. And you saw that in a lot of the streaming content uh, that they created, uh, which, uh, you know, was was dubious uh, in value. Um, And I think that they it'll be interesting to me to see, like, in the next year, you know, how they kind of come back from that and whether that's something that becomes a there's a lot of YouTube, you know, content where people are complaining about it. Um, But I feel like they're complaining about it at kind of a smaller scale um, than, than what it could take on in the future. Um, and, and we'll have to see sort of what that looks like. Uh, but Spider-Man has not been infected by that and neither has, uh, you know, some of the other uh, content that they have. So we'll have to see what happens with like Dr. Strange and with some of these other properties that they have uh, coming out. Um, and then I, I will mention, it's not a movie, but uh, it just, it's a superhero content thing the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. Yes. Um, which, uh, you know, obviously got a lot of attention. I am not a Zack Snyder fanboy, but I do find, I do think he is wrongly, um, I think he's wrongly criticized as being like a horrible movie maker <laughs> when in reality he's he's just like, he's uh, he's decent, but just a little weird. Um, he overuses slow motion, you know, he over, he overdoes everything, but also it's a superhero movie. So of course it's supposed to overdo everything. Um, but I, I just find it interesting that at the end of all of this, you know, horrible misbegotten project of a film that fell apart after sadly, you know, his own family tragedy and his daughter's suicide, that he was given the opportunity to come back and, you know, use the original footage, do some additional work to, uh, you know, to make it more like one he wanted to be and to find that, oh, this is actually kind of, this went from being like a D minus movie to being a B plus movie. Hmm. And it, it made me wonder how many times that happens with a project, you know, where the editing or the decisions that are made in post um, lead something to be, not utterly ruined, but, you know, taken so far away from the creative vision uh, that it's really not recognizable. Um, and I mean, a good example, <laughs> I've said this before, I think actually uh, uh, on one, on one of our podcasts that was in the early days of the pandemic, we were talking about movies with somebody and I, and we were talking about Batman versus Superman, where I just point made the point that like, it's not a, it's not a great movie. When you get the director's cut, it's still not a great movie, <laughs> but the story makes sense. Like, like, Oh, mm. Oh, like you cut out all these scenes that made me like understand what was going on. You know, and, and it's not, <laughs> it's not like it took it from like a bad movie to a good movie. It took it from a bad movie to like an 
average movie but like at least i understood what was going on you know and right. uh, and i makes me wonder how often uh that has happened well, so you know army of the dead came out in 2021 too Oh, man, I totally forgot that did. So yeah. easy to forget these things. Yeah, yeah. that was, again, I mean, I think that was that was not my favorite. Well, talk movie. about reshoots with yeah, that. That's I mean, exactly what made character. me think of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so was... Fill in our listeners for, for those unfamiliar with what happened to Army of the Dead. Well, so uh, Tignataro, who was, who was originally, who was it that got canceled? Uh, wasn't it Crystalia? Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And I think he was sort of rightfully canceled. <laughs> like he actually, uh, I mean... <laughs> There's this. Okay, so you all know that my definition of cancel culture is different than than the the sort of commonly thrown about phrase. But if there was somebody who kind of deserved to be canceled, (laughs) Crystalia seems to have deserved to be canceled. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But continue. <laughs> okay, so, so Zack Snyder films this whole zombie epic um, and Crystalia gets canceled. Crystalia, it's a, it's a, an ensemble cast movie. Um, and so you cannot cut a person out of the film. It, it is quite literally impossible. Um, and this is a Netflix movie, by the way. They At least they distribute it. So this is like an incredible conundrum. It's right in the middle of the, the, they were doing reshoots in September, 2020. So that's like right smack in the middle of the, the cancel culture uprising, uh, all that good stuff. So Crystalia gets replaced on green screens by Tignataro. And I think Tignataro, who I actually like, um, made the most of it, but holy smokes. I mean, the technology is amazing when you watch it, but it is the strangest thing in the world. And that movie I found to be uh, lacking, although I'm not really a, I'm not a, a lover of this genre anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think he was trying to do his Guardians kind of thing, you know, where like he goes from making some serious movies to like, this is going to be my fun one. And it clearly uh, went went sideways in uh, in a serious way. Um, Let's see some other ones that we haven't mentioned so far. Quiet Place 2 came out uh, in 2021. It was one of those ones where they wanted to delay it for theaters for a long time because of the whole sound element. I actually don't think that it missed a lot by, you know, I mean, we, I saw it in a theater um, and, uh, and I appreciated it that way, but other than the opening scene, I don't know how much of a difference it would have made. I do. I, I did really like the movie. I thought it was a great follow-up. Um, the critique that I've heard is that it felt too episodic. Mm. Like it felt like, you know, this is more like a, like a follow-on miniseries or something like that. Um, uh, the RLM people said that. A couple of the other YouTube critics that I watch have said that. Um, I, I get that critique, but I I loved it, um, and I like that type of interesting um, horror genre film. Uh, one uh, similarly interesting horror movie that didn't that seemed to me to be kind of too long, and again seemed like it might have done better as like a mini series versus a movie uh, was the empty man, mm. which uh, is, I mean, it's, it's just way too long. It's, it's two and a half hours or something like that long. And it's like, this should be a 90 minute movie, but it was actually pretty interesting. And it's not what it seems like the trailer sold it as kind of a, it looked like a stupid slender man ripoff. <laughs> uh, when in reality, it's like a, it's a, it's like a, 
it's basically like a police procedural movie about a cult. And, um, and that is much more interesting to me. And, uh, and it has some good actors in it too. Uh, so, uh, so I like that. Um, and trying to think if I saw any other horror movies, um, I, I don't think, I don't think I did, uh, little things is like a, is like a stalker movie, you know, not like a horror movie. It's, you know, it's more, again, like a criminal police procedural type with, uh, with Rami Malek. Um, and, uh, and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Uh, it, I thought it was completely forgettable. Uh, skip it. <laughs> if you, if you, if you haven't watched it Done. and you're brought in by the fact that it has like a really good cast, uh, just don't, um, there, there's this whole genre now where I feel like people are just trying to imitate Zodiac, um, from David yeah. Fincher, yes, you know, yes, and, yes. and everyone wants to make their equivalent of that. And they're just not as good. Like you're not David Fincher you know, and you're not, you know, the, or the the thing that I think is really bothersome about it is you there's this whole genre of California like dark uh, procedural type things uh, that you know they try to do in True Detective season two um, they try to do it in they've tried to do it in a number of different films but it, it takes certain aspects to it that I think you really have to nail. And if you get it wrong, it just seems, I don't know. It just doesn't seem believable. So yeah, not a fan. And come up with like a good freaking idea. And like, I get in the true crime boom that it's easy to sort of want to recreate Zodiac, but it's just like quiet place was incredibly successful because it was so original. Um, and that's why I was very uncertain of how they could possibly do Quiet Place 2 um, without sort of falling into the tired franchise thing because it's such a the idea is so singular um, and yet they did Okay, so I didn't want to I didn't want to say this because I couldn't remember the guy's name, but it's John Lee Hancock who made it. I just remember, but I remembered like he's the same guy who did The Rookie and The Blind Side and Saving Mr. Banks and, and it's like Dude, you are not like cut out to make a like dark, brooding California true crime series. I'm sorry, you're just not like that's not your thing. Do your other thing that you're really it. good at. Now you know? I'm thinking of of saving Mr. Banks as a horror film where looking behind every door is anti-Semitism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I've always thought I've always wanted to have like Paddington, but as a true crime thriller, you know so. Um, Yikes! Did you see I them to die? Yes, I have to admit something. I did not go see it in theaters. Oh. I think it's the first Bond movie in my lifetime, like or at least since like GoldenEye, that I have not seen in theaters. And because I didn't see it in theaters. I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I was that's watching it. Dad life. I was watching it on the on the couch, and I fell asleep. And then I had to start it again the other the next day. And well, I mean, not start it over, but just you know, like. And I don't know whether that was the fault of the movie or not. Um, what I will say is that, um, you know, you, it just seemed very disjointed to me. I, I. I understand the quality of it as a send-off. As a send-off, it works. But I share the critical drinker's view, which is that 
Daniel Craig is not a good James Bond. Mm-hmm. He has no charm. He has no suave to him. He is he's just a brutal action movie rugby player, you know, uh Jason Bourne ripoff, mm-hmm. which doesn't make him awful, but it just makes him he does not inhabit the character the way yes. that others have. Mm-hmm. Um and that's always been my problem with him. Uh and I think that his I mean I think Skyfall is fine, though it definitely just rips off the Dark Knight. And, uh, you know, I would argue that his best one is still Casino Royale. But I just I'm not as I'm not as emphatically in love with him as as uh, depicting this character. And I don't know, I just didn't get like the emotional I didn't have like some emotional connection with it. Let's say Mm -hmm. that way. So. Uh, before we leave horror, did you see Werewolves Within? No, I did not. What it's, is that? It, it's the one with uh, Guillermo from uh, What We Do in the Shadows. And oh my gosh, I yeah. love Guillermo. Yeah, you know, it's one of those those horror movies that's actually like it. And this is, uh, I feel like, pretty in vogue right now in terms of horror. But it, it sort of tries to be quirky. Um, and I don't know. I did. I didn't love it. It has some really great moments. It's a. It's a super interesting idea. Um, I think it goes a little off the rails, but that's one to check out if you haven't. Also, Willy's Wonderland is fantastic. I, I mean, so I want to. But I want to. Just as long as we're on the genre, I want to hear your take on Scary of Sixty First. You know. I just I lo- I mean I love Red Scare more than any other podcast I listen to and uh, I think Anna and Dasha are brilliant people and I think Dasha is is obviously capable of like fantastic work. Um I didn't think Scary of 61st was that good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um not obviously horror but but imitation horror uh Ghostbusters Afterlife I hated that. Came, came out <laughs> Um, uh, you hated it. I liked it. Um, I, I didn't like the ending of it, but I liked almost everything else up to the ending. Um, tell me why you hated it. This is the only movie, the the only major movie that I flat out turned off. So I don't know when you're talking about the ending, what you mean, but I watched it because <laughs> I watched it because you you guys liked it, and I was like, then this should be this should be good. Um, and I mean, I think I got like. Uh, probably 45 minutes into it and I was like I, I can't do this I thought it was sort of the 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 jokes weren't really working for me um, and I wanted more humor out of it I guess but it's, that's it's just... dumb nostalgia bait and this is just a sign that you're younger than me I was not so, alive in the 80s <laughs> no so this that's that's what I think about it I I think that there is I think that there there's a fine line that you walk when you're just using nostalgia to try to do a story. And um, the flip side of this would be uh, Many Saints of Newark, which obviously is a completely equivalent film to Ghostbusters Afterlife in terms of its topic area and seriousness. Um, But the the point is just like, if all you're doing is making references to things, uh, then that can really sour on some people really quick. Uh, But what I liked, I think, about Ghostbusters Afterlife is that when when I was watching it, I liked the I liked the shift to let's look at this from the perspective of children. Let's not look at this from the perspective of adults, mm. um, which 
I think was an interesting choice to make. Uh, and, you know, obviously built on the success of, of things like Stranger Things, which are themselves ripoffs of all of these different, you know, 80s phenomenon movies. Um, and I just really enjoyed that. And I liked the I liked the younger actors and uh, and I laughed at a good bit of it. Um, and I think it's also just an indication that I'm old and that I was yeah. alive during the 80s. Well, I thought um, mom was like super, super unlikable now that I'm remembering. Oh, no, she she was. I hate her. her. I can't. I, you know, but I don't like her in like anything. So that's just yeah. me. But um, uh, no, I'm I'm serious. I hated her in uh, what was it? The Leftovers. Mm. And uh, she was in a season of Fargo. And I hated her in that. Like, it's it's just I don't like that actress. Carrie Coon. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So yeah, I, think that's um, I have no like the idea that that Paul Rudd would be attracted to her is yes, ridiculous. It was insane. Um, and she was a terrible mother. <laughs> Well, you know, there's a long litany of like these miscast sequences that where, you know, like there's love triangles over certain characters. Obviously, one of the most ridiculous ones is the idea that um, that Christian Christian Bale would have anything for Maggie Gyllenhaal in the in the Dark Knight. No, like he's, sur he's surrounded by models and ballerinas, and he's like interested in this sad turtle. Like, what is wrong with you? You know, kind of a thing. Um, but no, it was it, that did not that did I, not really work. I will defend the Maggie Gyllenhaal thing, but again, this is men versus women. I I firmly believe that Maggie Gyllenhaal is a good actress. I'm not saying that she isn't. It's just that like. Like you have to, you have to believe that someone would be willing to like give up everything, like give up being, if you're going to give up being Batman for somebody, <laughs> not like at all. least, at least make it Rachel McAdams, you know, like, like that's <laughs> little Joey Potter from Dawson's Creek. Uh. Exactly. Exact. Well, yes, no, uh, but this is always my critique of, um, of Christopher Nolan, that his, his great weakness is he cannot cast or direct women. Yes, you, um, and it does make sense. You, this is your this is your critique of Christopher Nolan, Nolan, and I think it should be the critique of Christopher Nolan. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a definite blind spot for him. Um, did, uh, let's talk about streaming content for a minute. Um, uh, did you like uh, the Ricardos? Or is that the name of it? What's yeah, the what's the Aaron Sorkin one? Uh, yeah. Being the Ricardos, yeah. Being the and Ricardos, yeah. It actually had alluded me that Aaron Sorkin wrote the movie until it came up in the end credits, and I just started busting out laughing, and I was like, "Oh, yep, that makes complete sense." Um, the I, I actually thought Nicole Kidman was good as Lucille Ball. I thought Javier Bardem was excellent, but a terrible, a, a terrible uh, version of Desi. I, I like I don't know what they were thinking with that. His, yeah. his acting was great, but it wasn't Desi. Um, so it's an interesting movie. It's also too he's long. like no, that, that would be my critique too. He's great in everything, and he's a great actor, but he was just terribly miscast. And especially when you realize that like he's supposed to be significantly younger than her mm -hmm. and he's supposed to be like in his early, I can't remember the exact date, but he's like 30 or 31, yeah. you know? And it's just like, this doesn't work. Why it's did you do this? 55 year old, like buff, uh, rugged yeah. guy. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, he's this supposed to be the soft, smooth Latin lover type, you know, that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work. Um, power of the dog. Did you watch that? I didn't see that one. It's okay. Um, I found it to drag. Um, I thought it was again too long. I, I wonder if you know 
um, part of this for us is that we are watching a lot of these things on streaming. And so we're more aware of the time. Yes. Um, it definitely could be that it also could be that, you know, maybe they are, you know, leaving more things in, uh, because of, you know, editing choices that we, that we don't necessarily go into about the fact that they know that it's streaming so mm -hmm. they can. And they, um, they don't have to worry about ratings in the same way. Like, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's a well-acted film. It's fine. It's gotten way more awards attention than I thought it would. Um, did you watch? Uh, uh, did you watch the Suicide Squad? I did the, not. I did not. Okay. So, um, the Suicide Squad, which is not to be confused with Suicide Squad, the previous movie, <laughs> um, is uh, a return of of uh, James Gunn and all of this, you know, different approach to doing it, which is much more colorful, colorful and much more in keeping with the original tenor of the comics. Um, it is not by any means a good film. However, uh, it has done something that I think is uh, really great, which is has launched uh, the first DC expanded universe streaming series which is available on hbo max uh which stars john cena as peacemaker who is basically a kind of over-the-top captain america ripoff and it is hilarious it is absolutely <laughs> really? hilarious i am so entertained by this i'm i laugh my i laugh my head off at each episode it is uh it combines like a bunch of the different kind of I don't know, kick-ass motifs about, uh, you know, superhero stuff and superhero worship. Um, it's, uh, it's very dark uh, and, uh, and it's very, but it's just very funny. I mean, I, I can't believe that John Cena made it. Like it surprises me because I think of him as such a stick in the mud, but it's. You have uh, to say that in Mandarin. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. It makes me feel bad that he's such a sellout um, because <laughs> because it, it makes me like him. Um, and I really do. I'm not kidding. I want to hear the reviews from Shane Gillis and his uh, and his Down syndrome posse of fans uh, to uh, who all love John Cena to watch it because it is it like it's John Cena in a way that you have never seen him before. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's also very gruesome and definitely like R rated. So, uh, so we'll see uh, whether that happens or not. Um, and then I think, I think the only thing I had on my, um, uh, I think the only thing I, I, other thing that I had on my list was uh, yeah. What I think is the best movie of the year. Um, so I was going to ask you that first. What do you think the best movie of the year was, Emily? The best movie of the year, I would say King Richard, actually. Really? Yeah, I oh, think yeah, I, I, I really think it. That. Yeah, I think it was. I think it's um, and, and I think it should go in the, the sort of classic uh, kind of pantheon of, of classic American movies. I really thought wow. it was it was spectacular. Well, I think the best movie of the year was Dune, and I think you're wrong. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I don't think there's a movie that was better than Dune that came out this year. I think it was amazing. I think that the effects work in it is absolutely incredible and astounding. I think Denis Villeneuve is the best science fiction director uh, working today. Um, the only criticism that you can really have of it, from my perspective, is that it is essentially part one. Um, it does not, you know, it, it just ends you know it doesn't have a uh you know a continuation of the plot and the real critique of that would be 
that it ends at the point where the plot becomes much harder. Like you, you that the challenges that await you in the second film in terms of telling the story uh, are arguably going to be greater. Um, but I was absolutely sounded by this film. I've not, I've gone from being a Timothy Chalamet skeptic Ugh. to absolutely loving his work. Um, and and he works perfectly in this role, which is, if you haven't seen it, it's not what you necessarily expect it to be. Um, I thought the cast was phenomenal. I thought o Oscar Isaac is great. In particular, Josh Brolin is great. The um, There is a, look, I mean, I'm a guy. So of course I'm going to like Lawrence Arab of Arabia in space. So, but I just thought, I, I thought it was phenomenal and, and it would be my pick for virtually every, you know, kind of prize if I, if, uh, if, if I could. Um, and I understand that it's like too sweeping for a lot of people and it's, you know, it is this grand kind of epic. Uh, but when you put it side by side with the attempts to adapt this in other forms, you know, this was a real challenge for people to try to turn it into something. I would put Dune on the same level of the fact that Peter Jackson was able to adapt Lord of the Rings successfully. Wow. That he, that he did something that I think a lot of people, even fans, did not believe it was possible for a director to achieve. Um, and I think that Villeneuve has done that, um, at least in the first part. So it's kind of like, we've got our fellowship. What's going to happen when you do the rest, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, so we'll have to see. Um, yeah. And that actually, I was just going to say is the sort of perfect question about Oscars, right? And that like, if Dune is the best movie of the year and the Oscars want to kind of pivot back into a better direction, um, the last time they were really in a good direction was when Lord of the Rings was sweeping uh, the Oscars mm. ceremonies, a big blockbuster like that. Um, and I'll be curious to see actually how they treat Dune. Me too. I don't know. I mean, the I've paid so little attention to these uh, to the to the setups for these Oscars, um, you know, I feel like now, like so many Americans, you know, you tune in or you pay attention to the lists and it's like, I haven't seen half these. <laughs> um, but this year, I actually feel like I probably will have seen many of them. Um, and or if not, I'll at least be familiar um, with some of them. Um, oh, you know what? I did want to mention one other movie, which uh, I forgot to. Uh, which is just a very stupid, ridiculous movie. Um, but I enjoyed it. Old. Oh, you love nice old, Shyamalan. Yeah. I, right. I thought, well, I thought Old was very interesting. In It was released fairly early last year. And I thought it was interesting in context uh, with The Father, which obviously led to uh, the nomination and uh, Oscar win uh, by Anthony Hopkins um, on uh, a film that's based on a play. But both of those are kind of about, you know, obviously growing old. Old is a ridiculously stupid movie, but I enjoyed it because I think M. Night Shyamalan should get back to making ridiculous, stupid movies. <laughs> like, I don't... Uh, he made basically two interesting serious-ish horror movies with, um, uh, you know, both with uh, Sixth Sense and with Unbreakable. I think that he should get back to doing schlocky, dumb horror movies that are basically like Twilight Zone episodes that play out over 90 minutes because that's exactly what old is. And 
And I think that's great escapism. It's just like it's it's dumb and it's funny and stupid. And like, you know, there's certain deaths that happen in it where you're just like you're, you're not shocked at all. And you're and the flip side of it, you're like, ha ha, that person looks dumb. You know, that kind of thing. And and it just, uh, you know, I like that in a way. Um, and uh, and I hope that uh, I thought I hope he does more of it because it's kind of it's, you know, I, I just think that the like schlocky horror is really um, more appealing to me than like horror that's trying. I mean, uh, the flip side of that is something like what was it? The Empty House or mm-hmm. no, what was it? Um Shoot the Rebecca Hall movie. The uh, uh, on Netflix. No, it, oh, something house. I can't remember. Um, uh, but it's like the one where that the 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 husband made the house that was built in reverse, or whatever. Yeah. Um, like, and it just was so self serious. And Rebecca Hall like is a great actress, and she's and or she's a great like character actress, I should say. The night um, house. The night house. Yes, that's it. And. And she did her best to like elevate this stupid thing, but this is a Twilight Zone episode. Like, don't don't turn it into more than what it is. Like you, and that's the thing that I think I, I hate about some of the genre trends that we have lately, where it's like everything needs to be super deep, and this needs to tell you something about like you know nihilism and the nature of man in the universe. And it's like, okay, well that, that that's good once in a while, but they don't need to be that way and and let's just have something where there's just a monster of the week you know and and that's okay yeah so. and it's it's good if you're like an incredible filmmaker but if you're just sort of a run-of-the-mill person doing a horror film um please stop trying to force that and it kind of reminds me of the the one film i wanted to mention as the biggest disappointment for me not that i had like hugely high expectations but queen pins should have been fantastic you got the guy from richard jewel in it um and he does he is fantastic in the movie um but the the plot is just like how can you how can you make this suck um and they did it but mm. and then it was by sort of trying to jam um this the serious and this I, I guess sort of half-baked or not well-conceived serious messaging into it um of course you couldn't just have done slapstick with it but they just did such a bad job and the, also the two that i wanted to mention that were uh, that surprised me pleasant surprises still water i thought was going to be just a, a bland uh yeah no that was good great and then i also really liked the eyes of tammy faye i think uh, if jessica chastain isn't nominated for uh best actor actress I, I, that is one of the best performances hers as tammy faye baker it, mm. I, I can't think of uh, a ton of performances that are much better than it probably 10 other performances that are, are much better than it but it is she is spectacular I think that we're ready to wrap up, but I just realized that we forgot to mention a pretty big one. Uh, oh boy. Matrix came back this year. <laughs> Wait, was that 2022 or was that? No, no, it came back. It was on Christmas or something. Like oh, it came it back like right before the end of the year. Um, and uh, look, it's extremely meta. Uh, I don't like it. Like I won't rewatch it again, but it was, it was kind of, entertainingly stupid um one thing that surprised me is that the effects work was really crappy Mm. um like it just seemed cheap uh and and it was not a cheap movie to make Uh, but basically it's the most meta major film i think i've ever seen where it's like it's literally a movie about making the movie (laughs) um and uh i do love uh the fact that they injected two antagonists 
um, uh, Neil Patrick Harris and um, uh, and what's his face from uh, Mindhunter, and obviously he was King George in Hamilton. Oh yeah, help me, uh, Ian Ian Khan, Ian Khan, yeah. um, and uh, uh, they were both great, and they both have that kind of removal of personality that's kind of spooky, which I really liked. Um, but basically, they decided that. You know, we're going to make this movie with these stars who are 20 years older than, you know, they were when we made the original. So we're going to have to make a bunch of different special effects choices and things uh, that are kind of odd. Um, it, but I mean, it's totally forgettable from my perspective, but it was just like a weird, interesting meta take on the whole idea of sequel making. Um so I don't know if you saw it, but it just it just was one of these things that it surprised me that the tack that it took. I'm actually still I haven't seen it, but I'm still reeling from the fact that you just revealed Neil Patrick Harris is in the Matrix movie. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> and he has a significant role. <laughs> uh, I mean, OK, <laughs> I actually watched uh, the Matrix for the first time, I think, in November or December and uh, walked away from it thinking, I mean, it was a great movie. You are I mean, kidding me. I, I'm not. I'm <laughs> thinking this has got to be one of the most sort of destructive um like ideologically destructive movies uh in sort of like the last i don't know 50 years i feel like the the effect that it had on a generation's approach towards uh reality and and towards uh, i i kid you not it's the movie that i've seen the most often in theaters i've seen that i've seen that movie eight times in theaters interesting Um, and the reason was that when it came out people didn't really know what it was um, and like there was a mass marketing campaign, but it was kind of bef- like it it had like a slow start, basically, in my friend group. So I kept taking people to see it like mm-hmm. you need to see this movie. I want to go see it again. Come with me. And we went and saw it over and over and over again. Um, and it was just an extremely satisfying weird interesting it's one of those movies where you would go and see it and then you would go to the applebee's across the street and talk about it for another two hours right. so um it's now your turn to ask me what movie i have seen the most in theaters what's the movie you've seen the most in theaters and why is it white chicks <laughs> oh close is actually mean girls <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it's better white chicks yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's the source material. Uh, yeah, I think I saw it ten times in theaters. <laughs> that's I, that's not embarrassing. That's no, not, not embarrassing. at all. One think, of the best think there, think there 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 are people there are people who have done that, which with much much worse movies. And I hope that they will write in and share of what their embarrassing true most movie seen in theaters uh, experience is, uh, because you know there's there's people for for whom you know that movie is like the Flintstones, you know, or, yeah. or, yeah. Well, I think yeah. my second is from Justin to Kelly. So <laughs> are you, are you actually kidding with me my, or my fired? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Well, <laughs> so I was young when the American Idol craze came out and that was like a very social thing to do as a, as a girl in middle school uh, would be to, you know, repeatedly go see from Justin to Kelly. Cause it was very exciting at the time. I don't even know what to say to you. <laughs> I was like 11. In fairness, I was like 11. 
Okay. Okay. All right. That's, I guess, I guess that's forgivable. <laughs> All right. I think, I think that was good. I think we got through most of 2021 and I'm sure we forgot something significant that we'll be reminded of the instant that we stopped recording. That's right. I'm already thinking of Cry Macho, which I didn't see the, the Clint Eastwood joint. Yeah. I didn't see that either though. <laughs> We're okay. bad. All right. Uh, final, final thoughts, Ben, anything? Oh, just that this was a very this I felt like this movie actually had enough movies. I mean, this year had enough movies that we could actually have a conversation about a lot of different genres where the previous year felt very disjointed and it didn't really feel like you had enough representation from different things. And you had a lot of things that were kind of built up that weren't really that good. I think that we're in a very interesting moment of uh, creativity. I do think that the latest uh, down ranking of Netflix's stock Mm -hmm. is an interesting development. Um, Netflix is of all the different streaming services. It's the one that I would cut off first. Um, And I mean, it would probably be Netflix and then Hulu like HBO max, HBO max, I think is, is the new, standard Mm -hmm. um and i think that and i think that disney plus is right behind it though that's more because of the popularity of their of their ip than it is because of the quality necessarily but netflix has really taken a downturn it is not what it used to be you can routinely miss things and nobody's talking about them nobody cares about red notice like nobody cares about red notice (laughs) and it's supposedly the most popular movie in the in the world um and and there's nothing even to say about it. Like, I mean, whatever, you know, and that I think is a sign that we could be entering a period where these streaming services have to either get better or die uh, mm-hmm. or, or take a real knockdown in terms of the, the level to which investors and uh, talent are willing to sort of bet everything on just doing one. Yeah. And they don't have much good TV going for them right now either. Um, no. no, I'm with you. I heard from someone recently who said they canceled their Netflix, but retained the rest of their streamers, um, which is a sign of the times indeed. Ben Dominich, thank you for gracing us with your presence once again. Uh, it's always a privilege. <laughs> it's a privilege to do Ben's closing. People, every time I do the closing, they're like, oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. And I'm like, <laughs> well, first of all, it's it's the like Michael Scott thing where it's like Calvin Coolidge, Ben Dominich. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the opening of Lego Batman, Michael Jackson. No, actually, that was me. I, I came up with it. I'm smarter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you've been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, culture editor of the at the Federalist joined today by Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist. We'll be back soon with more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fry. I heard the faint voice of reason 